Hello everyone and welcome to a very special mini episode of the Danger Club podcast. My name is Dan Thompson, your regular GM here, and we got something a little special for you this weekend. Paizo were very kind to put us in touch with Nate Taylor from Dwarven Forge. Now, those of you who are regular listeners to our show will know that we played the Fall of Plaguestone adventure a couple of weeks back as part of our Gen Con special. And so Paizo got in touch and put us uh, with uh, Dwarven Forge, who are currently in the process of making uh, some fantastic 3D terrain for the Fall of Plaguestone module. So Nate and I sat down and we had a little talk about what Dwarven Forge do, how they make their terrain, what sort of people use it, uh, and this brand new set, the Fall of Plaguestone set. So I hope you enjoy it. I'll check back with you after the episode. See you in a bit. So I am here with Nate Taylor from Dwarven Forge, who are uh, calling in from New York, isn't it? New York, right, Nate? Yeah, yeah, we're Fantastic. in New York City. I live in Queens, but our our secret workshop, our, our lair, our artist studio is in uh, Bushwick. Fantastic. So we are international today. So if you're really into your gaming, you probably already know about Dwarven Forge. You probably know what you guys do. But for our listeners who are not, for people who have not heard of us, tell us a little bit about Dwarven Forge. Who are you guys? What do you do? So we are um, some of the premier creators of uh, 3D terrain for gaming, in particular, hand-sculpted terrain. Our, what makes us particularly special is uh, we create these unbelievable hand-sculpted uh, pieces uh, unlike anything else in the world. Uh, and then we also, we sell them uh, available hand-painted, which is a big deal because uh, I don't know about you, but I have a massive pile of unpainted miniatures that's, yep. you know, miniatures from when I was 16 that are made of lead that I still have <laughs> They're not yep. getting any more painted. So, you know, painting hundreds or thousands of pieces of terrain on top of that is not happening. So we uh, we sell our stuff hand-painted, which is also awesome. But, um, yeah, we're, we're, we create 3D terrain, and we try and um, – our goal is we're trying to create the tools that you guys, you know, you the – whoever gets it can use to create more immersive, more dramatic, more cinematic, these memorable moments in your table. We're trying to enhance – those moments at your table when you sit down yeah. with a bunch of people and like just you want to blow people's minds um yeah you can because we you know we are through and through gamers who just live for this stuff and we want there's a lot of people out there who want you know their game to just be that's the highlight of their week is that that game and uh so we mm. want to give tools to do that and oh, fantastic that. yeah so how many people tend to go for the painted versus the unpainted? Is the painted quite a big market now? So uh, so in the olden days, uh, we only sold, it was resin was only available painted. Mm-hmm. And we did our first Kickstarter six years ago, seven years ago, six or dungeon Kickstarter. And that was the first time that we'd switched to, to Dwarvenite, our new PVC blend. And that was the first time pieces were available unpainted. So you could buy it painted or unpainted. And it was cheaper than resin. So... We got a whole bunch of new people coming in. I was really excited. Um, and a bunch of people, I don't know, almost half, 40% or something went and got unpainted because you got a lot more coverage. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, well, I could get, you know, 20%, 30% more sets if I get them unpainted. The next, the following Kickstarter, it was like 80% went painted. Like everybody said, <laughs> they hadn't finished painting their stuff from the previous year. And we're yep. like, this is a terrible idea. I'm just going to go for the painted. Uh, so pretty much since then, it's it's about you know about four fifths of the people get it uh, pre painted because it's just, it just takes time. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I can see. So the reason that we are talking today, the reason Paizo were kind enough to put us in touch with each other, is that we are both quite into the fall of Plaguestone right now. Uh, if you're a regular listener to our show, you'll know that we played the fall of Plaguestone on the show over Gen Con weekend. We put them out every day over Gen Con. Um, how was your experience? We really enjoyed it. Uh, I think we'd forgotten just how brutal Jason Baldwin is as a writer of games. Uh, it was pretty hard at points i don't think any of the guys will ever look at a pig quite the same way again after what it did to them but we had a really good time and it was great to play some second edition but you guys have been working on some plague stone stuff of your own haven't you that's your big project right now isn't it yeah so funny enough it's like where our lead times are so long that it's like an old project for us now this one we started last september right we started Mm -hmm. a year ago so now this is like yeah, we're always we're we're in, into our next thing, which the the public won't see for a year. But uh, yeah, it was really neat. It was, Stefan, our founder, was at Hawaii Con, which is basically just an excuse to take in a vacation, right? It's like you know, it's a game convention out in Hawaii. That sounds like a great con. So you know, so he and uh, funny enough, Jason was there also. <laughs> so they were uh, there. He was they were chatting, and he's like, you know, it's been so like we we just it's well, let's just do something like let's get something together with the companies and jason's like well you know actually we're about to launch uh second edition by about to you know in a year uh at gen con in 20 what is this year 2019 so we're gonna launch maybe we do something with that so we uh we all hopped on the phone and started talking out and he started explaining he plague stone was sort of in its it was basically just an outline at that point an outline with a bunch of big holes in it he's like i'm I'm doing a module for it to kind of kick it off to get people you know an easy to get people started to uh you know dive into second edition um maybe we could do is you know maybe you could build the whole module in dwarven forge and uh we said we kind of had to pump the brakes a little that was like building the entire uh thing was like just you know it would have it taken us forever and uh it would have been cost prohibitive and whatnot so we we sort of went through it and he was like you know the most exciting for him sort of the most exciting portion is in the middle of the thing the pen mm. on the mountain he's like well, let's let's focus on the pen and start there and see what it looks like. Um, so we, uh, and what was fun was it was it was still very everything was just kind of amorphous, right? He had kind of a rough idea and he had a couple of bullet points he was going to hit, but it was it was sort of wide open. So he sketched out this is what I want to accomplish in the mm. encounter, um, and so then we built sort of a really rough, uh, kind of a rough layout based on that. Uh, and then work back and forth with him to kind of refine this layout and then pump in the details. I'm like, what are the, you know, we're going to do some special new pieces for this. Like, what are the things that make this, you know, this encounter particularly special or interesting or whatever? So we got to focus in on some really cool, weird alchemy supplies and the uh, the sculptor's experiment. My cat's going crazy. She's jealous. So it was really, it was really fun to kind of get to go back and forth and, put in some details he's like i'm like well what's in the you know what's in the sculptor's layer this evil this guy doing experiments he's like i don't know it just needs to look cool like whatever like yeah come up with some neat details i could flesh it out um which and then like the um the plants they have these mutant plants out there once again he had sort of idea of what they would do he's like vine lashes grabby and poison wounds put out spores Mm. but i don't know he's like i don't know what they look like or how it works or whatever so we really got it was fun we got to kind of design the world hand in hand and then what was neat is once we had a uh, a build done, we did the whole build out in Dwarven Forge. We took a bunch of overhead photos of it. Then uh, his cartographer 
drew out the map in the book based on our build. So that based we on the ah. build precisely. And so then we broke it down and we're selling it in sets so you can buy four the four different areas of the pen you can buy independ- independently or you can buy the whole thing to connect it together. That sounds like a really collaborative process. Is that fairly standard for the way you guys work with developers or is that quite specific to working with Paizo and Jason? Well, um, we haven't really, we haven't collaborated with other companies much. Okay. We're pretty insular. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a wonderfully collaborative experience working with Jason. The guy's a genius and also just super, you know, he was, wasn't afraid to kill his darlings and just let it be sort of free and like what was going to create the best experience mm. for the, you know, he was, he was constantly thinking about what's the experience that the, the end user is going to have. Like, are people going to have a good time? Like, how do I make sure this is going to be fun on the table? This is uh, his primary worry. Uh, so it was really, it was fun to be able to collaborate back and forth with him. And for us, we're a wildly, maybe too collaborative of a company. Everybody has, um, everybody has a voice um, and input. And uh, we're just sort of throwing lots and lots of crazy ideas into this uh, creative soup and sort of then ladling it out into something that's manageable uh, and, you know, and tangible for backers. But we're, we're really, really into a collaborative workflow. Fantastic. Uh, as a you know, as an artistically based company, right? We're we're ten artists in the core office, and then a bunch of satellite artists. So it's really important to me to create an environment where all our artists can flourish and build off each other's ideas um, and collaboratively create something that's bigger than what just one you know one person sitting in their basement can only do so much. But it's suddenly a whole bunch of people building off each other's ideas and refining each other's ideas and giving criticism and critique and, you know, way improving it, tearing it down to make it builder, make mm. it bigger, better, uh, just yields the final product that we get out into the world, which has everybody's little touches and every little department is adding a little something along the way. Nice. So presumably this is a set that you can use for the fall of Plaguestone and then you can use for other adventures as well. You don't just have to use it for Plaguestone. So all of our, all of our stuff that we make is is wildly modular and reusable, right? Because it's it's expensive, right? Premium terrain, sure. our train, it's very expensive. It's an investment. So if we if we sold you something that you could only use once for one adventure, like who's gonna buy that? What's the time? So we want to make sure it's 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 an investment to buy in this stuff. So I want to make sure if you're getting these tools that you can use them for a variety of things. So all of these pieces, the plaguestone sets, you can use it to build a plaguestone, but you can use it to build anything, right? And hmm. a lot of times people do things were totally unexpected, right? We weren't, you know, this is supposed to be like, this is a mountain area, but suddenly they turned it into a cave or it's a beach or it's the it's Mars or whatever, you know, flip it upside down and use it backwards and paint it purple and do, you know, all this cool stuff and sort of make it their own and do whatever with it. It's very much, you know, it's very much like Lego. They yeah. say, okay, you can make a moon buggy, but also you can make a million things, you can make whatever you want with this uh, and people do and use it really unexpected hmm. ways. And, it's really important to us to to try and give people as many options as possible um, and stuff that will spark, you know, if there's different cool ways you can combine things, then they'll come up with all these ideas and maybe it sparks adventure ideas on their own. And I mean, having run a lot of Pathfinder, if you're going to have one standard piece of terrain that you're going to reuse, an alchemist lab is a pretty good thing to have. They come up quite a lot in Pathfinder. There's, I don't know, it's just cool, like, just in general, right? Like, just that we, where experiments are happening, that's where that's where yeah. dangerous and interesting things are occurring. Uh, yeah, for See, sure. You guys have been going for a long time, so you must have made a lot of sets over the years. Other than this Pathfinder set, 
What's your favorite thing that you've made over the years? What really jumps out to you? The uh, the castle builder system that we did three years ago, mm. I think is one of the... Uh, I'm really proud of how... Uh, nobody in the world has made a 25 millimeter scale modular castle system rival mm-hmm. this thing. The, the capabilities of what you can build with these castle pieces are uh, it's just stunning. And there's... Some of these photos that pop up on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter are just like, it's just mind blowing. People are still, you know, people are still finding new ways to make these staggering strongholds. And, you know, that's one of the really rewarding things for us is seeing these photos on social media of the things that we, you know, the things that we've given people these tools and suddenly the things that they're creating. It's just, it's so exciting. So one of the, the castle stuff definitely makes some of the sort of most striking, uh, photos of i don't know people these builds that people do are just some just absurd some of these things are and not you know and not just giant giant diamonds but these really a sort of cool little here's a little section of a thing that works and or, mm. the other set of actually happened at the same time uh well i guess with these the the Arenthor mountain set that we did at the same time um is one of my favorite sets because it's super versatile it's just these basically just rocks right modular rocks mm. Can do, like, you can do everything with rocks, right? Rocks are literally the foundation of, kind of any, <laughs> any build. You can, you can fit them anywhere. Um, and I just constantly see them popping up in all these builds and just, inter- you know, they kind of, they work anywhere. You can have rocks show up in your caverns. They can show up in your dungeon. They can show out in the wilderness. They can be in your town. They can be anything. They're like, they pop up all over the place. Always need rocks. Uh, we noticed recently, because we were at the UK Games Expo a few weeks ago, Really good show. We got to go out there. You have to tell me, should we Should we go out there next year? Definitely. It's uh, a brilliant show. We had a great time there. Uh, Paizo were there. We met Jason there. They were having a good time. If you're going to do a UK show, UK Games Expo is the one to come to. Absolutely come along there. Uh, and while we were there, we saw a lot of people with physical terrain, but we also saw a lot of products like Roll20, like Fantasy Grounds, sort of online gaming tabletops. So it made me wonder, how has the industry changed in the time that you have been doing this sort of stuff? Uh, is there still a demand for this physical terrain next to these online versions? You know, what's what's awesome, right, being in the, we're in this sort of this renaissance of tabletop gaming right now, right, where there's more and more cool tools that are letting people game when and where and how they want to, right? It's just... Mm. I have a, a friend who'd never who never played D&D before two years ago. So now he's playing four campaigns, right? One of them's online with some people in Canada, and one is half online, half in person, and two are in person. And, you know, just like he's sort of an example of like the, there's all these different ways that he can play. And he's one one is just voice chat, one is video chat, one is in person. And so I think the the tools are out there that um, are letting the hobby expand more and more and more. Um, and some of it, you know, is diverging a little bit from being just sitting around the table. You know, there, in my mind, it was always a bunch of us mm-hmm. sitting in the basement, like playing together. When I, and I still, of course, love the in-person experience. What's What's been really helpful for us is the uh, the rise of streaming, right? The actual play movement, people watching people play D&D, which 10 years ago, I would have said that is like, there's no way people are going to sit and watch yeah. hours and hours and hours of other people playing D&D computer. But um but it's it's hypnotic and it's cool and it's exciting and it's that's a great thing. So streaming has really helped us a lot because it it certainly helps streams to you know streams look much cooler when you have a physical build, right? Something it sure. helps the audience quantify where the combat's happening, helps the players quantify, it gives everybody something to look at on the table. 
So, um, again, particularly your critical role, Matt has been using our stuff since season one, pre, pre-critical role he was using it. Um, so it helps lots of people see our stuff on these streams and get excited by it. So even though there's more and more people playing less physical, there's more people getting exposed to it through these digital things alike. And then they go, oh, well, I want to have my, you know, my game needs to look sure. like that or whatever. And we're, uh, we're happy to help provide those experiences. Oh, fantastic. So if people are excited about this Plague Stone set, how do they get it? You're having a campaign at the moment, right? You're get, taking pre-orders right now, aren't you? Yeah, so we're, so basically our, our general model is we're, you know, we're a very, very small company um, and uh, it's very expensive to make these, you know, making these molds mm. for these pieces is, is very expensive um, and producing them in large scales is expensive. So we, anytime we can, we try and take the money up front um, so we can, so we make sure we don't want to, you know, if we order a thousand of a set and nobody buys it, we're in, we're in a lot of trouble. Um, or conversely, yeah. if we order a thousand of a set and 5,000 people want it, we're also in trouble. Sure. Um, so it really helps us if we, uh, we kind of know up front what the interest level is and have some of the funding to, uh, fund the production. So we're doing a pre-sale on this, uh, series, which is going until the end of this month. So where, where are we? It's like another week, I think. Another week to run, I think. So, uh, people just go on the website and they can pre-order it on there, right? They go to dwarvenforge.com and we have a big banner up there that says Plaguestone pre-sale is live. And what's neat is we're just taking a deposit, right? Okay. You click on the sets that you want and it's like $50 deposit for an encounter and $10 deposit for an add-on or something. And then the ship, the sets will be manufactured and ship around uh, April. We'll send you an invoice for the rest of the uh, stuff, and then we get the invoice. We ship it out, and everybody gets their stuff, and they can play. In a perfect world, we would have had all the sets ready for Gen Con. Like people could have picked them up at Gen Con, get their second edition rulebook, get their Plague Stone yeah. module, and then play right then and there. But uh, our lead, you know, our production time is is so long. It took us a long time to get everything hammered out and. For Jason to finalize, you know, he was right up to, right up, maybe even past his his uh, deadline of when he had his <laughs> and was still like tweaking the bits, and um, so it wasn't feasible to have it ready right then and there. I guess the nice thing is, even though if it's not out at launch, there's uh, longevity to these things. People are going to be finding this module for years to come. Uh, the modules that we're playing at the moment on the show, they're ones that came out six, seven years ago, but they're still new, new to us, and, and they're new to our listeners as well. And I think Plaguestone is going to be the same, especially with it being the very first of the modules to come out. There's going to be people discovering Plaguestone and, and this terrain for a long, long time. People will definitely go back and, and play it some how is how is second edition treated you? Have you been enjoying? Uh... We are really loving it at the moment, and we're big fans of first edition as well. We've really enjoyed that, but even as big fans of it, you know, you start to see the cracks in it. It's it's first edition from Pathfinder is D and D three point five that was converted over to a new system, and not everything about it that could have been changed maybe was changed, uh, and it's a ten year old system, so it's showing its age. Second edition, it moves faster. It's certainly for a podcast like ours, it's really good to have a game that is that fast-paced where we're not having to look up rules all the time. The simple action economy is really great, but it hasn't lost that depth and complexity that really makes Pathfinder stand out as a game. Uh, We have just gone through the process of converting all of our characters to second edition characters. They'll be coming out on our main show really soon. The main show is going to go to second edition. 
And in every case, we were in some way able to create these characters as second edition characters. Uh, and these are characters that are drawn from across the 10 years of Pathfinder. You know, we've got people using class options and classes that don't exist in second edition yet. Uh, and yet we were able to recreate them just out of the core book using the options that are available there. So it's really deep. It's a great game and, and it's only going to get better as it grows. So yeah, we're huge fans of it on the show. It seems like everybody... Everybody that I talk to seems, and then you hear this weird grousing out on the internet. Where I haven't actually met any of these complainers, but it seems yeah. like you know the feeling of complaint. But I haven't actually met any of them, and I don't know if it's, it's just. Do you think it's just people reacting to change? I think it's something that you get whenever you have a new version of anything. Whenever you have a new system, you get these sort of weird edition wars. And you get it the same with people who are really into D&D 5e versus Pathfinder and they've got a, a side they want to pick. Uh, we play all of those systems. We love them. We really enjoy it. And Pathfinder 1st Edition is uh, still a great system, uh, but it's still there. There's no reason you can't just play those adventures if you want to. There's loads of good adventures. They're relatively easy to convert to 2nd Edition if you want to, but you don't have to. You can play them as 1st Edition. It's still there. Those books yeah. all still exist. Like, it hasn't been wiped from the memory banks of the human race. I can never get it because you can't have played everything from Pathfinder 1st Edition. If all you want to do is play first Pathfinder 1st Edition, then there's not enough time in a human lifetime to play everything that has ever been released for it. So there's always going to be new 1st Edition content for you to play. But Pathfinder 2nd Edition is here, and there are lots of exciting things for Pathfinder 2nd Edition as well. And one of those is the fall of Plaguestone, and hopefully lots of people will be playing it, and maybe some people over here in the UK will be playing it with the uh, Dwarven Forge set. Uh, I assume it is available here in Europe. Can people get it over here? Yes. The The challenge for us has, is uh, shipping. Sure. Right? It's, it's, uh, we have our, our stuff is, is heavy and it's, uh, it's bulky. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, our European shipping just gets very expensive. We were working on improving our, uh, we've been working on having a, a warehouse in Germany. Cool. And sort of do some more local uh, shipments that reduce the pricing because it's just, it's just uh, international distribution is rough. Yeah, I know Paizo have a lot of the same problems when we talk to them about it. Uh, we're lucky here in London. We got a, lot, got a lot of really good gaming stores here, so we tend to be able to get stuff brought in and, and buy it direct from them. But for some stuff, we just have to pay the postage if we want it. But we're used to that. We do it all the time. Or, uh, you can come over to Gen Con and buy some stuff in person. Uh... Yes, that is hopefully going to happen one day. That is something we are working on. Uh, not sure if we're going to be able to do it just yet. But in the meantime... If you are interested in this, you can head over to Dwarven Forge's website. You can pre-order that Fall of Plaguestone stuff. You've got one week left to do it. We're going to stick the address in the show notes for this episode. It's going to be going out as a standalone episode. Nate, thank you so much for joining us. And we should say thank you to your cat as well. What's your cat's name? That's Squiggy. We have Squiggy, Squiggy and Sage. Sage is the ninja. She like hides. You know, She's all black and has like a plus seven stealth. And Squiggy's the big doofy. <laughs> well nate and squeaky and sage thank you so much uh, for joining us and uh, good luck with the rest of the pre-sale hope it goes well thank you have a good one happy gaming thank you again to nate and his cats for joining us for this episode 
If you are already a listener of the Danger Club podcast, you know the deal. There's a new episode coming out on Monday. If you're new, if you've just tuned in because you wanted to hear this adventure, hello, we're the Danger Club podcast. We play Pathfinder every single Monday and we follow various adventures, including the fall of Plague Stone. Go ahead, hit a subscribe and hear a group of actors here in London having a very, very silly adventure. Or even go back to the beginning and listen to every one of the 60... Four, I think, episodes that they've gone so far. We've done a lot of episodes. We've had a lot of adventures. Uh, we would love to have you along with us because if you join us, you can hear some ridiculous accents and you can hear some really, really bad dice rolling. And you can hear us play Fall of Plaguestone, which is uh, pretty fun. Catch you all on Monday for some more adventure. See you then. In a world of heroes, villains, six British actors will come together to play Pathfinder. It's sort of like D&D, but also really not like D&D. Join Falter. I immediately regret this decision. Caragor. Oh, I see you, Kenneth. Velda. I hold my arcane powers. Shania. Yes, I've cracked the case. M. Now kill him. <laughs> and the Dungeon Master for an actual play podcast that takes adventure Seriously. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and from DangerClubPodcast.com. Danger Club, let's roll. God, doing that voice hurts.